0: What's up citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access you're going to get exclusive on-demand content this means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show every single after show and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week but most importantly your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel so what are you waiting for change everything at ApologiaRadio.com
1: non rockabotus must stop I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? It be Brett, delusional. The, yeah, I the, love you, so <laughs> Yeah,
2: Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So, you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt.
0: <laughs> she hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men, and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage.
3: Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples.
2: I yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle
4: neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, pastor. When we have the real message of truth. We cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah.
1: they're not.
2: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. All right, welcome back, guys. Another Hello. episode, Apologia Radio. Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. Get some past episodes. Running close to 200 episodes now. Lots of really great theologians, scholars, sheologians, scientists. Fantastic stuff. So you get it at ApologiaRadio.com. You can also get there. Sign up for all access. And get the brand new lectures put up by Dr. Mitch Stokes from NSA, New St. Andrews College, in Idaho, Moscow, Idaho Good it stuff. is the theology of math now that might sound uber boring to you especially if you're like me and math just isn't your thing It might sound extremely boring but from a, an apologetic standpoint a theological standpoint it is uber
0: important <laughs> I like math now that I watch that video Right, it right. will, That's it something will really to consider.
2: lift you up yeah? <laughs> you had to really think about throw that, that one. I'm out there. her yeah. and Lyft. Yeah. You got it. Oh, Joy, Joy got, got, it. It. Joy she Joy got was, it. She just it. She doesn't think it was funny at all. Want to no. mention something. First, I am joined today. Thanks, Joy. <laughs> in the studio Sorry. today with Luke the Bear.
4: I still like you. That's me. Joy Apparently girl. I'm not funny anymore. Hello.
2: Marcus Pittman on the ones and twos. King Ginger. In the back. I'm the ninja. Mm. And uh, want to point you guys to... The first episode of The Studio! It's Whoa. finished! Hey. You did not sound too excited. <laughs> Maybe that's because uh, you are busy all night getting ready to drop it. Uh, so it's on uh, Apologia Studios on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, Apologia Studios, subscribe to us so you can get all the episodes. Make sure you guys catch it every Tuesday when it drops. Tuesday evenings, it will drop on that YouTube channel. They're just uh, web series... Kind of a digital, short, scripted series. A lot of fun. A lot of really great uh, reviews so far. Uh, fantastic. Just start to your day, end of your day. It's it's really, really a blessing to be a part of that, and it's a lot of fun, so... Even the trolls
0: are giving us good reviews. Yeah, even the trolls. Yeah,
2: what was one of the About things that. we had from a troll? He said, bigots uh... Bigots can have fun, too. Oh, look, bigots have fun, too. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Coming oh. from a troll, that means a lot. <laughs> right. Uh, so... So that's where you go check it out. Tuesday evenings, the studio will drop. Don't forget to go check out Postbit; it's our worldview review of gaming, plus all kinds of really great theological content and messages, sermons are there. Uh, Don't forget to be checking back for constant drops of messages, sermons, Q and A sessions, evangelism, all that right there on YouTube. Apologia Studios. All right, so we're back for another week. Another episode, we're going to talk a lot today about the law of God, the law of God. So that'll be the subject for today. We're going to hit a lot of scripture today, so I you, hope you have your Bibles ready. Share this episode when we're done. I think I think we'll be able to give you guys some really, really important stuff and uh, some stuff to think about and stuff that'll bless you. But before we get into that, let's talk to Joy Tembe. Joy, what's happening in the world? I'd like to hear some news. Only, very, only vitally important news. Great. I want, important. I want news... That we need to know about. Yeah. If we're going to have a productive day, a meaningful day, I want to know what's happening I, in the world. I Great. think this
3: story is more important than Hillary's health.
2: Yeah. I have a serious eye for important More news important too. than a presidential candidate passing out, yeah. getting into a van, yeah. and having coughing spells. Yeah. All that. Okay. More important than yes. More important. Okay,
0: so it's today, just among you guys. It's just ammonia. Okay, so did you today, say ammonia? I said, I said, I said pneumonia. I'm did pretty not sure if we
4: roll it back, you said I'm pneumonia. Sure oh, no,
3: we gotta double check that one.
4: Um, Mark okay, us. so that ammonia so, will kill you
3: every time.
4: Ready? <laughs> oh, we're ready. Okay. So today I wanted to talk about a woman who was, um, her, nom- her name is uh, Lisa Lowbury. Okay. And um, she was walking to a fitness class. So, from her house to her local gym, when she got hit in the face by a catfish Uh, that fell from the sky. That is amazing. (laughs) What happened? Okay, so, um, she was walking and all of a sudden something slammed her in the face. Like, it hit her hard. Catfish can get pretty big, too. Like, uh, well, this, so it was later determined that the catfish was about five pounds, but that, based off of her injuries, that's a big fish. The fish had fallen from fifty feet or so. Wow! So now, before anyone, what? any of our listeners think that um, that this is like a sign predicting the rapture or something like some that, some people might interpret it as um, such. It was determined that a, a bird had probably just dropped the fish. A bird dropped the fish. Feet. Yeah, well I mean they eat fish, they That's grab true. it out of a lake. Yeah. And wow. then they fly somewhere with it. And I guess it can only be expected that every once in a while a bird will drop. Yeah. It's fish it slipped. And so the bird was like, "Dang it." Yeah. So it hit her in the face, <laughs> like it like cut her face. It hit her that hard wow. that her, cut her face, face was cut.
3: That's amazing.
4: And um, Ooh, catfish have like blades. Bloody and angry. You got like I'm gangster catfish running around with like. Actually, switchblades. catfish are. Yeah, they have. Uh, catfish are pretty gangster. They have a crushing plate. They don't actually have teeth. What? They have a crushing plate, like in their jaw. So it just like when they close their mouth, it just crushes whatever's in there. They're very there.
3: spiky, too.
4: Really? On yes, the back Wow. they are. They're spiky and then, and I mean... in she stitches? It, uh, no, she didn't get stitches. Her. But, okay. um, in well, the Amazon... In the Amazon, they're catfish that grow to be, like, 14 feet long. Oh, yeah. And legend would say that they have eaten people. I don't know if that's actually been proven. That's wow. probably true. There's but... It's like a legend (laughs) that catfish around that area that they that they're man eating. I believe the record
3: catfish caught in the U.S. is like around 350 pounds. Why do you know this information? Because I
4: the same reason why I know about the 14 foot long one in the Amazon. Some degree.
3: Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Did you say her name was Lisa Loeb? Yeah. That's I was was going to say
2: as soon as I said it. Wasn't she with like MTV? Like. Did you say that's who it was? Well, she's singing. I can see her doing a music video right now, walking down the street, heading to her workout class, (laughs) singing this song. It's a music video. And then a big catfish. Kaboom! Right. (laughs) Catfish!
4: Yes, that is a a hilarious thought, but on Apologia Radio, we only like to report real news. (laughs) So her name was not Lisa Loeb. It's Lisa Loebri. Oh, shoot. Well... Well thank goodness her face is okay.
2: I like my story and Luke's story better. But
4: her face is okay, and apparently the most disturbing (laughs) And apparently the worst part of it was that um it smelled horrible. This was she she ended up walking back home and showering multiple times. (laughs) And later in the day later in the day she she like couldn't get the fish smell off of her. All this and from getting hit hit later in the with a catfish. later in the day. She actually had a fever, and she thought she may have gotten some sort of infection from the catfish. But they actually went to the doctor, and they said it was probably stress related, which means she was so stressed from getting hit in the face by a catfish that she she had she was in shock, and her body had a fever. How do you explain that? that? You go into like Uh. a
2: Starbucks, you sit down to like do your work, pull your laptop out, everyone's looking around, like what's that smell? And you're like, oh I'm sorry, I was hit in the
4: face with a catfish. When you go How do you explain? When you go into the doctor So I have a fever And I'm thinking It's probably The cat catfish itis
1: <laughs> From when the catfish
4: Hit me oh earlier goodness. in the uh, face Did you actually
3: interview her? Head like head How would you get all this Personal extra sort of information? Catfish flying 50 feet above like, me Like Jeff
4: said We are just committed To yeah. the news here That is fantastic I do wow. my research
3: Well tell Lisa Loeb That we're sorry She got hurt
4: we wow! Amazing. We we apologize. Apologize. Thank you for the story. We, we extend our sympathies to Lisa Loeb and to Lisa Lobry. <laughs>
2: well, thank you, Joy, for the amazing story. Always good. To, it's always good to hear those encouraging news stories yeah. amidst right. all the just awful so stuff we hear all the time.
4: on the internet and falling from the sky. Almost anything applies is possible at some point in this
2: world. Someone will be like, I'll bet you no one's ever been hitting the head with a catfish from 50 feet. Right? And someone's like, oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> oh, uh, just YouTube look for that, that on junk. the internet. Uh, hello, Lisa. Right? Um, what? <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, it's almost Christmas time.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. almost Christmas time. Did you and, see uh, uh,
3: Fournones already rocking the... Was he? Did you see the screenshot of no. Santa? Yeah, well,
2: and so what's he already rocking the uh, Santa hat?
3: Christmas music. Oh, Christmas music. Yeah. Very good.
2: All right. Who's listening to some Mariah Carey Christmas music? He, was he really? What he said on he's my kind of people. Speaking of Christmas, this is a great little bit here from Jim McGaffigan.
4: Did you say Jim McGaffigan?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a long week. Jim We're McGaffigan. We're all about
4: mixing up names
2: today. I just like it,
4: This is your Jim McGaffigan. Jim McGaffigan. Lisa Loeb and Jim McGaffigan. This <laughs> is uh, my Jim McGaffigan bit right here.
3: And he's got that ammonia. Yeah, he's
4: got that... Uh, <laughs>
3: The Christmas tree, where we go out and we chop down a tree and we put it in our living room. Kind of sounds like the behavior of a drunk man, really. <laughs> Some woman wakes up,
1: honey, why is there a a pine tree in our living room? I like it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna decorate it
3: for Jesus. And then I'm gonna hang my socks over the fireplace.
2: He has a new show, doesn't he?
3: Uh, yeah. Well, it's not really new. Well, yeah, season two I think is gonna be starting soon if it didn't already.
2: Yeah, you like oh, that show, don't you? the
3: show. It's hilarious. It's Great one of the funniest show.
2: shows. He's funny and relatively tame. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can generally watch most of his stuff. Right, Luke? Yes. You with us? Yeah. I am absolutely with you. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, guys, so let's talk just a bit uh, today about the law of God. Important discussion to have in light of our current cultural circumstances, society around us today. You know, we could start this discussion in many ways, and so I'll just give a little bit of historical background. Uh, The Christian Church, Uh, obviously we started uh, in the context of the Roman Empire. And we started, Christ died, Christ rose again, Christ ascended and was seated on his throne in the first century in the context of Roman domination. And I want to say that if you were to look around Roman culture at that time, you would have found some pretty um, gruesome aspects of the depravity of man. I mean, you can you can have this discussion in many ways. Either from the corruption and evil within the Roman system itself, to uh, the fact—and this is a well-known uh, fact—the Romans throwing their children out, their babies out. It was the Roman form of abortion, in a sense, throwing their children out to die of exposure. The Christian Church actually jumped on that early on, and actually would snatch up the children that the Romans would throw out. Roman society didn't want. The Christians snatched them up and adopted those children and raised those children, uh, pointed them to Christ. And so that's one aspect of how the church jumped in uh, to the society around them. No, the Christian church wasn't about revolution. It wasn't about overturning the government and uh, destroying society in that sense, in a revolutionary sense, but it was about the gospel proclamation Proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and that began to change society from the bottom up. Call it a grassroots kind of movement. Hmm. It's the OG grassroots movement. <laughs> and it was all about the gospel, it was all about salvation. You had, of course, in the Roman Empire, all, you know, in Roman society around them, you could, have, you could have gone down the street, and you could have paid to uh, engage in... Um, uh, how do I use this word? Uh, you can engage in a in, uh, physical relationship with temple prostitutes. Uh, that's the sort of thing that was happening. It was commonplace. And so when we look at American culture today and where we've come from to where we're at today, yes, we're not doing so well, uh, to put it mildly. No, we're not doing well. And uh, yes, our government is corrupt in many ways. And yes, society is falling apart in many ways. But the church has... Here's my point. The church has been here before. We've been Hmm. in the trenches before in this kind of a context. I think the reason we recognize so easily where we're at today and how far we've fallen is just because of that point. We've fallen far. From what? Well, Christians came over here to this... Continent, and they came over for the glory of Jesus Christ, they came over for the expansion of his kingdom. they came over and established a Christian society under the lordship of jesus christ now we 've abandoned I believe covenant with God, and you know I, I, I brought this up before and i 'll just say it briefly. People have asked me why do you say that when I, when I say we broke covenant with God? Why well, say it because if you were to look at how societies were organized early on. Um, in this nation, you had societies organized clearly under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The context was Christian, the worldview was Christian whether you were a Christian or not, because that's just, that was the that was the context. And we had named Jesus Christ the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, in legal documents and treaties with other nations, in our uh, covenants, in our law, and so... Um, when I say we've abandoned covenant with God, early on, you weren't even allowed to hold political office unless mm. you were a baptized Trinitarian Christian, something I say very often. But when we formed this nation after, well, during the time of the War for Independence, Declaration of Independence, the US Constitution, that was where there was the removal of the explicit name of God, the God of the Scriptures. And so that's, I think, where you begin to see some erosion and falling apart. And once you lose the ultimate standard as God, once you lose God as the source, as the principium, that's where now you have an infinitely malleable document, and that's where you have the kind of conflict that we have today, where you have people saying, oh, it's a living document, it's a breathing document. And so, well, did they really mean that? And, you know, maybe it's time for it to change. And so even if you have clearly biblically established laws referenced in, say, the um, Bill of Rights, in the, um, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and when you have clear biblical law alluded to in, say, the U.S. Constitution, it doesn't do you a lot of good when you don't have the God behind those words. When you don't have him as a reference point, again, an infinitely malleable document. People can do with it as they please. And so you have, of course, a government today that doesn't obey God, Romans chapter 13 says that the civil magistrate, the state, the government, uh, the role of the government, civil magistrate, is to uh, punish evildoers. It's the deacon, the servant of God, not the servant of some other God. That's mm-hmm. got to be very, very clear. The, the civil right. government is not to be the servant of some other God. It's the servant of God. And Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords today. That's a meaningful statement. When Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, that all authority in heaven is, and on earth has been given to me, that means something. And so that was a context of what the Apostle Paul thought, and Peter thought, James thought, John thought. The early Christians knew who Jesus was and what God was going to accomplish in the world through his rule, that's his kingdom. And so, here we are, living in a society that has turned its eyes away from Jesus and his lordship, and we reap the whirlwind we're reaping what we sow. Mm. And so that's where we're at today. And so, um, again, if you look at, at how we were founded as a nation, you, you just can't get around it. Calvinists started this country. And it was unquestionably Christian in its origins. I think it would be more accurate to say, and we had an episode I want to point you guys to with Dr. George Grant somewhere in the past episodes at com. If you don't know George Grant, get to know him. Kings Meadow Study Center, that's where you get him. Um, and I and I brought up that you know the early Christians when they formed this nation, it'd be more accurate to refer to refer to the early American society not as a democracy, but as a Christian republic. That's a much more accurate mm. description of our nation early on, a Christian republic. And yes, there's a difference. There's a major difference uh, between republic and democracy in many many senses. So here we are. And so we live, again, in this, I don't want to say post-Christian, because there's no such thing as post-Christian society. Um, that's that's an important element. People say, you know, we live in a post-Christian society. No, we don't. There's never going to be a time where there's a post-Christian, after-Christian society. There's no such thing. Why do I say that, Daniel 7, 13-14? he's been seated he's come up to the ancient of days he's been given kingdom dominion and glory that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed so there's no such thing as a post Christian society but in some sense we live in a post Christian America and yeah I think there's a difference there's a meaningful difference there and so what's the answer let's just say it at the outset what's the answer it's the gospel right but don't forget the gospel comes with a proclamation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what's important. The gospel isn't just about my own private salvation. What's the story of the gospel you tell people? You tell them that Jesus is king, he's lord, he's the messiah, he's God in the flesh. He died for sinners, he rose from the dead. Right, that's the story we tell. And the call is to repent and believe. You come into submission to Jesus Christ to trust in him for forgiveness and salvation. But what's the, the central point of that story... The, the redemption that's in Christ, but who is Jesus? He's Lord. He's Kyrios. He is the Messiah. He's the King. And so he rules. And so when we go proclaim the gospel, we're telling people that there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> right? We're telling people there's a new boss of the world. A new king over the world. That's, that's part of the proclamation, is that Jesus is the boss. He's in charge of everything. That all kings, all peoples, everybody must bow before his throne. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, with the Lordship of Jesus Christ being the cent- one of the central aspects of the gospel of redemption, that, comes, that becomes a key part of how a society transforms. Make no mistake about it. We do not believe that you transform society from the top down. So... Okay, we say that a lot, mm. but can I just give like an example? So what I'm not saying is America, America is a Christian culture and society's origins. <laughs> America's Christian through and true from the beginning. we got to give back this country, America, for God. And what I mean by that is we need to get Hillary out. We need to get the Bernies out. We need to get all these people out of government. And we need to have Fox News run the show we need to hire. You know, you get what I'm saying. I'm, obviously, I'm overblowing it, but the point is, I'm saying we're not saying that we're just coming to some bland form of America Christianity, and and we're not saying that Republican Republican we got to go with the Republican nominee. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that how it changes is through the gospel. It's a clear communication of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's submission to him. It's God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ governing us individually, as families, as churches, as a government. And you begin to see society transform as individuals are sanctified. It should should be rather, rather simple to think through. Individuals are sanctified. They have new hearts that love God's law. They love God's way. They love God's word. And so when you get a lot of those people who are sanctified, you have a nation of sanctified people, largely. And a nation of sanctified people, what will they look to for guidance? Themselves? Their own autonomous reasoning? See, if you have a nation of mostly Christian people, right, what do they look to in terms of how to, say, set up their society? What's the blueprint of their society? Is it just like the unbeliever? One of the things that Dr. Greg Bonson said that really impacted me, uh, and I can't remember exactly what message this is, so just forgive me, I, I can't point you to exactly where he said it, but it really impacted me, and he basically said, somewhere in his discussion of the law of God, uh, like through the Psalms or something, he basically said that his fear was, if you were to give America to the Christian church and say, all right guys, here's this nation, go for it. How will you govern it? How, what, what, how's it going to be set up? He said that his fear was that the, un, the Christians... Today, if given that opportunity, would have a society that would not look very different in its order than the unbelievers today. And why? Because we're unwilling to look to the Word of God as the standard, mm. as the blueprint of society. And his fear was the Christians wouldn't know what to do with it, anyways. Yeah. Why? Because what we've been taught, many of us, that the Word of God is the the say that the, the old I say the law of God and what He says in the Old Testament. That's the law of God emeritus. That's the law of God, oh, that's done, right? And now we've got this much better thing, and well, what's a much better thing? Well, it's salvation in Jesus. I get to go to heaven one day. Well, mm-hmm. what's all that stuff in the Old Testament that's this full-orbed worldview of all of society and justice? What happened to that? Well, God's not really care. He didn't care. He did want people to go to heaven. He, want, he wants people to go to heaven one day. That's 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 what we have to tell people. Well, it's really strange, isn't it? That the Bible is this amazing revelation of God, 66 different books and letters, you know, dozens and dozens of authors over like almost 2,000 years of composition. It presents to us this full-orbed worldview. And as Christians today, we look to it and we say, well, it's not really relevant. Mm -hmm. Like justice, eh. Like laws, you know, in terms of like victims' rights, In the Old Testament, like, God cares about victims, and so victims' rights, you know, they're violated, there's disharmony. God says, well, that's what's just. I mean, that's for the victim, this is just. And we go, eh, Jesus wants people to go to heaven. Well, I mean, you know, if that's your perspective, if you think it's all about, like, this world is evil, and, you know, we just have to escape from it, then maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you think that, you know, God's not concerned with justice in the world today. The only problem is, respectfully, that's not what the scriptures say. Nope. That's not what the scriptures say. The Bible presents to us much, much more. And so, what we're going to do is take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that full orbed worldview. We're going to have a discussion with Luke the bear, Joy the girl, King Ginger. We're going to talk about the Word of God. I'm talking about the law of God. And I'm actually going to play some stuff for you from Dr. Greg Bonson, maybe some Dougie Doug, Doug Wilson. we yeah, are yeah. talk about 23 petty crimes that actually resulted in life sentences without parole. Wow. So much for um, the law of God being this just awful, just tyrannical standard. When you abandon the law of God, you're subject to the tyranny of men. Be right back. Hey, guys, don't fast forward through this commercial. Important message for you guys. We're meeting at a new location for Apologia Church worship services. I'm Jeff Durbin, pastor at Apologia Church.
4: Join us for worship, 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, we are a family integrated church. Sorry, do I introduce myself? They yeah, don't you know can know say Joy. I am. Yeah, you can say Joy. I know. This is this, for so church, church just start though. Yeah. But so what do I do at the church? They're going to be like, that's one of those churches that has a lady pastor. I want to keep <laughs> this as a as the part of the commercial. Yeah, I want you to leave this. Yes, okay. Careful. All
1: right. <laughs> Luke.
3: Uh, this is Luke the Bear, the discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. And the new location we're meeting at, like Jeff said, it's the Tempe Vineyard Church. I think you said it was the Tempe Vineyard Church. No, I didn't. You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> you just did The didn't. address <laughs> okay. is 1805 East Elliott Road, number 112. Tempe, Arizona, 85284. That is on the southeast corner of McClintock and Elliott. Bring your wives, bring your kids, and bring your husbands too, because we're teaching everybody
2: up in here. Bring your beards, if you got them. Or no. It's up to you. I'll have mine. All right, guys. That's our new commercial. I think it's professional. <laughs> we'll see you at Apologia Church. Join us for worship. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission, to disciple nations and build him a house. Not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college. To equip students with the tools to build and fight. This is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, visit us online at nsa.edu forward slash explore.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beard drift. You know, like dandruff, but beard drift. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles. Not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs. Your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall. Protect your manlyhood. An epic combination of manliness and manhood. If you are hearing this today, there is hope for your beard. Go to ucausebeard.com and enter the code Apologia, and you can save some money while you save your face. So this from
2: Mother Jones, that's a source, can't say I highly recommend Mother Jones, but source coming from her. the new ACLU to report document, this is a little older article, but still relevant, the world tries to address these issues and fails miserably, that's what happens with uh, human autonomy. When you try to address the issues of justice and crime in society, uh, you have to do it from yourself as a reference point, or society, current society as a reference point. So what's just? What's unjust? What's the right way to handle things? Well, that's one aspect of the law of God. It's not the whole thing, but an aspect of the law of God is justice and victims' rights. Um, So, a little older article, but it says, as of last year, according to a report released today by the ACLU, more than 3,200 people were serving life in prisons without parole for nonviolent crimes. Let me read that again. More than 3,200 people were serving life in prison without parole for nonviolent crimes. End quote. Human beings, image bearers of God, locked up behind bars, caged like animals hmm. for nonviolent crimes. And who's paying for it? That would be that would be us,
0: Pastor Luke. Hmm. That'd be us. So oh, so somebody does something wrong, and the victims have to pay for it. And the victims have to pay for it. Wow. And and That'd... the non-victims yeah. have to pay for it. That's really messed up.
2: So those who had absolutely nothing to do with it are paying for it, and then those who actually were the victims are paying for it. Three hots and a cot, baby. Healthcare, bed, food, meals, medical, all that. We pay that. A close examination of these cases, quote, by the ACLU reveals just how some petty of these offenses are. People got life, among other things, for... Are you ready? Ready. Possessing a crack pipe. Possessing a crack pipe. Life in prison. That's a lot of money
0: that the victims have to pay.
2: Yeah. Now, of course, we can grant. There are probably other crimes these people committed. But the crime that actually sent them to prison... For life without the possibility of parole, possessing a crack pipe, possessing a bottle cap containing trace amount of heroin, too minute to be weighed, what? life in prison. Wow. No parole. Having traces of cocaine in clothes pockets that were invisible to the naked eye but detected in laboratory tests, life in prison. No what if parole. Somebody sneezed that onto him. That's well. Having a single crack rock at home, life in prison. Possessing 32 grams of marijuana worth about $380 in California with intent to distribute. You know what I feel bad for? I do feel bad for the people that are serving life sentences today in prison or like 20-year, 30-year, 40-year sentences in prison today who were arrested on charges related to marijuana possession. Mm. When you have today states like California, yeah. Colorado that in Arizona that have medical if Colorado has just there you go you can do it I think Washington right isn't Washington now Marcus I think Mar- Washington and Oregon yeah that's that's just it's legal Arizona it's on a docket now for Arizona to legalize marijuana don't know if it'll pass but uh, that's so my point is I'm not making any statements about it except to say um I feel bad for the guys that are in jail now for life or for dozens and dozens of years for possession of marijuana yeah, just a quick side note uh The law of God gives you a distinction between what is a sin and a crime. Sometimes things are just sins, but not crimes. Sometimes things are sins and crimes. But God doesn't say in his word just because something's a sin, that means the state must must punish for it. So, for example, I would say drunkenness is a sin, but drunkenness is not a crime in the Bible punished by the state. Hmm. Uh, I believe that drug and alcohol abuse is sinful, but I don't think that it's just or effective to handle it as a crime punishable by the state by throwing people into cages, treating them like animals. You Listen, as somebody who's worked in this field for a long time and as us all involved in a church that was heavily involved and is heavily involved in this area of drug and alcohol abuse, I can tell you right now, the state doesn't solve the problem of the heart. You can throw people in jail all you want for drug addiction. It doesn't solve the problem of their drug addictions. matter of fact, guess what? If you didn't know, you can get drugs in jail. And uh, oftentimes you send people to jail, they come out more hardened criminals uh, than they were when they went in. So here's another example. Uh, Passing out several grams of LSD at a Grateful Dead show. Life in prison. Acting as a go-between in the sale of $10 worth of marijuana to an undercover cop. Acting as a go-between... In the sale of $10 worth of marijuana to an undercover cop. (coughs) Selling a single single crack rock. (laughs) Verbally negotiating another man's sale of two small pieces of fake crack to an undercover cop. Fake crack! Fake crack! Having a stash of over-the-counter decongestant pills that could be used to make methamphetamine. Did Did I ever tell you guys about the time that I... I had a sev- I had severe issues because my nose needed to be fixed. I remember with my allergies and I was once my allergies would kick in, I would immediately go into this like sinus infection, couldn't breathe, and I was just a wreck. That's somewhat solved now after my surgery on my nose but so I needed a decongestant and so I was just an absolute wreck I didn't sleep all that night and so I just crawled out of bed and I was like I'm just like God have mercy on me and so I went to CVS in like a bad bad place and my hair wasn't did and I, I I looked a wreck and I, I had to go get the Sudafed from behind the pharmacist counter. You looked
0: like somebody who needed to get drugs to make him feel better.
2: Right! So, yeah. I go up and you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> I can, I'm literally like, Hi, can I... Can they I to the congestion for, for my nose? And I'm like, seriously, a mess! I can't even talk! My nose seals shut. It just seals shut. And so, the pharmacist comes over and looks at me and he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna need ID. And I was like, I'm have an idea and I just came over I need to decongest it. I just need one box. I'm like, I just need one box. I'm not going to go like all Walter White on you. And, like, I'm not going to get an RV and go out to the middle of the desert and like start cooking the blue stuff. But, and so I, I only asked for one box. And so the pharmacist goes, I can't sell it to you without an ID. And I was like I only need I'm a grown man I only need one box can you hear can you hear my voice and he's like yeah sir if you don't have an ID I'm not selling it to you I was like no he's like no and uh, and so I didn't get I didn't get uh, I didn't get, it. didn't get it I didn't get my decongestant you suffered methamphetamines attempting to cash a stolen check attempting to cash interesting life in prison possessing stolen scrap metal the offender was a junk dealer 10 valves and 1 elbow pipe life in prison possessing stolen wrenches life in prison siphoning gasoline from a truck Uh, life in prison stealing stools (laughs) stealing stools (laughs) stealing tools from a shed and welding machine from a front yard life in prison shoplifting three belts from a department store good gracious, life in prison wow shoplifting several digital cameras, life in prison shoplifting two jerseys from an athletic store taking a television circular saw and power converter from a vacant house breaking into a closed liquor store in the middle of the night man, that guy was desperate making a drunken threat to a police officer while handcuffed in the back of a patrol car making a drunken threat? you threatened me life in prison wow being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm, life in prison. Taking an abusive stepfather's gun from their shared home, life in prison.
0: Well, well, y- you know it's a, it's a good time to be in the the a corporate prison business. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, like, no, I mean that's I mean when when you have companies that are getting paid to like house prisoners for a long time, uh-huh. and then and then you have uh, sheriff's departments that are paid. To, you know to, to house the prisoners yeah. in certain complexes it makes sense to you know when, when you get when, when the state profits from criminals it's not a good thing right
2: amen to that and you know I, um, United States of America has um, one of the largest if not the largest uh, population of people in our prison system overflowing it's flooded and uh, I mean it's, it's good to ask the question Is this just? I mean, do we want a society that's ordered in such a way where victims never get back what they deserve, where harmony is not brought? Do you want a society where there's an injustice perpetrated upon every citizen in terms of the justice system, where they have nothing to do with the crime, and yet they have to pay for the crimes that are committed for the remainder of their own lives? For example, property taxes... Did you know that in the United States of America, you don't own your property? You're renting land from the government permanently? Hmm. How so? Well, property taxes. Right. Every year paid. You buy the dirt, you buy the land, you buy the house, you can pay off your house, you can pay off the land, you pay it all off, and you're still paying rent to the government for good. And for what? Well, public, public schools. Schooling. What what if you don't have kids in public schools? Still gotta pay. And if you don't pay, we'll take your house. And do you know what else is in those property taxes? there's stuff in there to fund the legal system the prison system now am I suggesting that there is no righteous taxation nope there is definitely righteous taxation and voluntary add that what do you know voluntary not by coercion Not by the threat of at the end of a barrel or of prison, but there is a biblical way to do taxation, a righteous way to do taxation. Don't forget, the United States of America, well, the colonies, well, early on, when we actually (laughs) fought for the war for independence, the taxation wasn't on income tax. And it wasn't on no 40% income tax. Not 30%, not 20%, not 10%. It was on 0% income tax. What was it on? It was on trade, yeah, import. and you were talking to like you were talking like two to three percent max. So, so what's a
0: biblical form of of, of taxation then? Biblical form
2: of taxation yeah. can come in a, in, a, in in several different ways, but I think fundamentally, you would say, just for the purposes of this discussion, you would say it have to all be voluntary, voluntary. I can opt out of of paying for that. You can't take it from me by coercion. You can't take it from me at the threat of a, of a gun. You can't take it thre- from me by threatening me with jail. has to be a voluntary taxation system that is just... And so, for example, you could have, say, sales tax. I think you can have a government form of sales tax. Isn't that what the T-tax was? Yes, but they, they only believed that there should have been a righteous, acceptable level. When it got out of control that's where they said, okay, this, is, this isn't even unjust. This isn't even just. Because see here's the thing. Look, when you have to fund a government, the government should only be operating from a biblical perspective to handle justice. So executing justice, um, enforcing contracts, and organizing for defense. So the government can definitely function in those ways, and you can definitely pay a righteous form of taxation for those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But the problem we have today is and and Marcus, talk about this with me for a second okay. because this, this would be good. The problem we have today is we have so many government programs that are unnecessary right. forms of government. Like say, for example, the EPA. Right. The um, FDA. The FDA, FDA. You you have the Department of Education. PSA. The t- You have all of these. <laughs> no, hey, here's hey, the. Thing. That's a real if, one, man. If people want. That, that's if, a real pain. If people want good security on the airlines. It would be better served by private industry serving security. Let me bring my gun. Right? Private security in that industry would do a much better job because here's the thing. Look, when you give a job to the government to do, it tends to be done in a really poor way. Post office. Hello. Hello. Department of Education, hello, FDA, hello, EPA, hello. All those are great examples of giving the government a role that they ought not have. It's not your business to do that in the first place. And so when you give it to them and do a poor job of it anyways, but when you have a private enterprise take uh, something like that, they do it well. Why? Because if they stink at it, people don't buy it. They don't do business with a company that does a bad job. Right here's, Here's an example. Look, when I need to ship something, do you honestly believe that my first choice is the post office? <laughs> it is not Uh-oh. the post office. I don't go to the post office because I know yeah. what it's going to be like going there. I know what it's going to be like in lines there. I know what it's going to be like in getting something sent. I know what it's like in getting things lost. I don't go to the post office. I
3: had an experience with them last week.
2: That's like last ditch effort. Oh, no, I have to go to the post office. But here's the point. When you give it to a private industry, they do a good job. There's a great example. Look it up. Just learn to use Google. Google of a Texas town that essentially got rid of their government police department and they gave it to a private industry, and the crimes in that city dropped so significantly, it really is kind of jaw-dropping. I mean, really, it's that significant. So are we saying there's no law enforcement? No, no, no. Are we saying there's no fire department? No. I'm saying you can do those things by private industry and do a much better job. Right. Hey, here's a good example. Um... You know, hey, here's one example. <gasps> you know, rest stops. Yes. On the road. Yeah. Do you enjoy stopping at rest stops? No.
3: No.
4: No, now, here, anyone <laughs> even stop those? Though? This is a great really, really This is a great idea.
2: This is a great idea. It shows you private industry. What if you gave rest stops and that the ability to do rest stops to say may huge companies like Geico, they can they can have the Geico rest stop right or you can have um, any other major organization has their own they, they do rest stops yeah. for the community and when you go in there's advertisements everywhere for Geico and you know everyone has yeah. a stop there and you can say, even sign up for Ge- in 15 minutes or less you can sign up for your Geico in 15 minutes and switch your car insurance. or go to the
0: bathroom you know yeah. what I'm
2: saying or, and use the bathroom and guess what do you think <laughs> do you think if Geico ran a rest stop do you think Geico would let it stink to high heaven? That it would be scuzzy and dirty and just nasty? And and how about this? Not safe? I mean, rest stops. I mean, honestly, I don't want to stop at rest stops. I'm afraid to die. I, I, I actually...
3: I had an experience where I thought I was going to get the living snot beat out of me.
2: Yeah, at rest stop? At rest stop, yeah. So, here's, so my point is... And this is a small... That's just a small example of what I mean. When you give government responsibility they ought not have, guess what? They do a poor job and... The money they need to support those industries, they take from people and they take it by force, they take it through unjust taxation, and they take it in such a way where you're under threat now if you don't pay it.
0: But you well, get with the private industry, they do well. That and the you know, the private industries, you know, do things better anyway. I know John Stossel had this video where he was talking about the subway systems. Yeah. And how uh, the unions in, in New York have made it to where that if you want to drive the bus in New York, you get paid 3 times the going rate to be a bus driver. No so kidding. The private bus companies can't compete because the government's paying th- this crazy rate for bus drivers to so so these these people come and they get hired by these private companies to learn how to drive the, the bus and once they get enough experience they just leave and they spend the rest of their lives as a bus driver in New York because the unions have made it to where they get paid a lot of money and then they can retire at 55 and 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 that and like i was watching this kind of goes back to the imprisonment thing i was watching this video that series that john stossel did it's on youtube it's called illegal everything and it talks about how like kids were arrested because they had a lemonade stand and they didn't have a permit and and, uh, and they have their union card. Yeah, and actually Walter Williams is, makes an appearance on there. He talks about you know the where licensing came from, but but uh, it's it's fantastic. It just shows you how like everything we do in America is illegal. And he talks about how like he has this like big stack of like laws, and these are the new laws that are you know just this year or whatever. I'm real. Yeah. And and uh, so the they, the guy that they're ta- they talk to on there is talking about how. Every person in the United States has committed a felony.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) No doubt. Because that's just how many laws are. Here's another one to throw at you, Marcus. This is a good one to talk about. How about this other aspect of government where they don't necessarily rule over an industry? Right? They're not like the primary controller of that industry, but they still rule over it in a sense. Take, for example, today, two great, amazing things by way of industry... Um, Lyft and Uber. Hmm. Right. Lyft I did it intentionally earlier, by yeah. the way. So Lyft and Uber are fantastic examples where you have Did you really throw it in there? I did it because I knew oh, you were gonna talk yes. about these. Well
0: they were talking well, they talked about this in Illegal Everything because apparently Walter Williams used to be a taxicab driver. Really? Really? Yeah. He used to be a taxicab driver and that's how he he made his living or whatever. And I think at the time all he did like he was they were talking about how like in the old days. If you wanted to be a taxi cab driver, you could just write "taxi." You could just paint "taxi" on your car, buy a used car, paint "taxi" on it, and all of a sudden you were in business. And then now you have to have a, a medallion in New York City that costs a million dollars, right? And so Uber and Lyft like really like upset that industry. <laughs> I was talking, I got picked up by this Uber driver uh, who was like this this Jewish Brooklyn guy, and uh, he used to be a taxi driver in New York. And he was talking to me. He was like, "He's like these Uber systems are so great. They're so great. They destroyed the whole industry." And then, like, we drove by like the taxi cab pickup at the airport. And he goes, "He goes, look at them. They're just sitting there with their arms crossed. They have nothing to do but the Ubers and the lifts. They go in and out all day." Yep. And hey, when we say destroys an industry, yeah. we mean
2: it destroys the government-controlled yeah. industry. He said
0: he, said he paid two hundred thousand dollars for a medallion in New York. Unbelievable. That's, he had, that's what Whoa. he had to pay to drive. A car that's to get permission un- from the government. Unreal. So, and that's a good example. And the government
2: steps into that, and they don't necessarily dominate and control, but in a way they do. Um, it's, still, it's still a taxi industry, but that's an example right there where you have some states that can't have Uber or Lyft because of the government control in the taxi system, and there's so much corruption there in terms of who they let And it's a lot of times based on how much you're willing to pay. And so a lot of times the public can't get the best service. Because I'll tell you what, I've I've done Uber a bunch. I haven't done Lyft yet, actually. But I've done Uber a bunch. And I've had a great experience every time but one. Every time but one. And the one time wasn't that bad. It was just the guy's car was a little messy. And he wasn't being very careful with his words. My 8-year-old was with me in the car. And he wasn't just cautious with his words. And guess what? I rated him bad. And now guess what? He's got to get himself under control or he's not going to have business anymore. That's how this thing works. So it it, it actually forces its own maintenance and control within itself. Private industry will always do that. Government control always destroys it. And guess what else? Guess what else? If you had a righteous form of taxation, the government can actually get more money through industries like that if they didn't try to control them because there would be more business being produced. It's like that game you were to you did the post bit about, you know, when you have more yes. things happening, more money is actually happening. When you freeze up an industry and control it as a government, now people aren't doing business. Hello socialism. I mean, great example in some of these these countries where it's social, where there's socialism. How the business is doing there? Terrible. Right. You have that fantastic video that I shared on my Facebook page a while back of I think they were they in Cuba. I yeah, forget where they Cuba. were. It was Cuba. Yeah. The guy goes around like downtown and he looks for like a restaurant to eat at, and all there are just a few restaurants. But when he walks into them, the employees are standing around doing nothing. They're waiting for their daily shipment from the government to actually right. make their sandwiches, and all they can make is ham sandwiches. Right so it's terrible and everywhere is like that yeah everywhere terrible industry terrible products terrible service everyone's getting paid the same amount no matter what they're waiting for their government uh, gifts and blessings to do their business it's an awful awful scenario that's what you get and guess what, guess where you don't find that kind of a system you don't find it in the bible do not find it in the bible and so um yeah so we Especially should say the uh, ham sandwich part, for the, most part. Yeah, for the ham sandwich that's right you don't see that so i mean that's <laughs> that's important it's important for us to talk about that well played. and we're going to continue to talk about this but let's talk about just quickly what the word of god says about the law of god and then we're going to take a break come back we're gonna talk some more this is i already quoted at the beginning of the episode psalm chapter one psalm chapter one can i ask is that relevant today like Psalm 1. Is that like a New Testament thing? <laughs> no, we, it's, it's
3: Old Testament. You right? Can't,
2: I mean, I mean, can we still say the in. psalm matters there? Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Watch. Here it is. Here's, here's the punch. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Was, Blessed is man. the man. God's law. And which law? Well, that's Psalm chapter 1. So, there's a blessing in the meditation upon, there's a blessing on the man who meditates upon the law of God when? Day and night. Night. Day and night. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and and the law of God, there's a blessing in meditating upon that day and night. How could it bless you to read the law of God? Well, justice.
3: You know how he wants you to live.
2: Love, yeah. Love for God, love for neighbor. That's the foundation of all the law of God. How about this? Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. 119.16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. That's a big one. Graciously teach me your law. I thought the law was just this just harsh sort of just system of just justice. It's just really, really oppressive. Well, here's a psalmist saying, verse 29 of Psalm 119, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. God graciously Mm -hmm. teach me your law. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 61, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now watch this. I think, I believe with all my heart that we would not be in the predicament we're in today as a church if we actually had that verse treasured up in our heart and we believed it. That the law of God's mouth, God's law, is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How many of us would would prefer the law of God over a trunk full of treasure filled with gold and silver? How many of us would say if presented with the hmm. Bible or with winning the lottery... million. How many of us would prefer the law of God over the $200 million? Mm. That's convicting. That's challenging. Another one. Verse 113. I hate the double minded, but I love your law. I hate the double minded, but I love your law. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Great peace Have those who love your law. That's what I'm talking about. So let's talk about that. We'll be right back, guys. We're going to talk more about the law of God, loving God's law, experiencing that peace. Those who love God's law experience that peace. And so we're going to talk about it some more. We're going to give you some more examples. Play some of Bonson when we get back. ApologyRadio.com, Don't forget to go to MissionAware.com and get a T-shirt. Pastor Luke's wearing BB Warfield, baby. Yes, sir. MissionAware.com. They support the work of Apology at Church. You should support them. Do you have a MissionAware shirt on right now? No. Nope. Nope. Marcus is dressed up kind of snazzy today. Just clothes I found in the studio. Oh, this old Oh, this whole
0: thing. <laughs>
2: That's because
3: Austin took him to the store and made him buy a new wardrobe.
2: You look good, Marcus. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Radio.com. Be right back.
3: Hi, I'm Les and I'm Tanner and we're the hosts of the Reformed podcast, a weekly podcast where two friends get together and talk about the things that they love. It's like all those times you talked about theology over a pint of beer with your friends, but we're just dumb enough to record it. It's the theology of Calvin and the thirst of Luther. Join in on the conversation by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. It's the Reformed podcast.
2: What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, dot edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond, I I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend Dr. Kenneth Talbot and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com.
1: What does it profit a man to gain all the world and suffer the loss of his own soul? soul. 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 soul.
2: soul. Welcome back talk about basic presuppositions, we think in terms of the biblical worldview. When we talk to atheists, we often say to them, when you make yourself the reference point, you don't have any potential for any justified true belief, any knowledge. You can't make any legitimate, meaningful knowledge claims when you're the reference point we say that to atheists often, right? Everyone does. I mean, if you think presuppositionally, covenantally, that's how we approach the unbeliever. He knows God in his heart of hearts. He's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. He will operate as an image bearer of God in God's world, but he will not be able to be consistent. And so when he makes himself the reference point, his world falls apart. Science is impossible. Knowledge is impossible. Ethics are rendered meaningless, useless right? And so we do that with the unbeliever and we talk to them about the gospel and apologetics. But how about this area when it comes to law? If we're the reference point, can we have any true knowledge, any justified true belief regarding any law. So for example, that last thing I said about Dr. Greg Bonson when he said, my fear is if you give the nation to Christians the nation wouldn't look any different than it would if unbelievers were in charge because we don't know in our Bibles, we don't know the blueprint Mm -hmm. we don't know the Word of God, we don't know the references we don't know where to go, how does the Word of God apply in this area? And so that's kind of the thing. We talk about God's law, the Apostle Paul says is good God's law is good. We look at Romans chapter 3 This is powerful. At the very end of the chapter, when he discusses justification through faith alone and Christ alone, apart from any work of law, Romans 3.28, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. All of the gospel rests on that claim. Faith apart from any work of law. If you add one work of law to faith in an effort to get justified before God, the gospel is destroyed, you are a heretic a false preaching a false gospel. But at the very, look, it's two verses or so later. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Right? People say that. we're under law. Sorry, we're under grace and not under law. <laughs> they mishandle that text from the Apostle Paul as though Paul is saying that the law is no longer relevant because of faith in Jesus Christ. Complete misunderstanding of the scriptures at that point. At that point, Absolutely destructive position on the law. But Paul says directly after, he says that we are justified through faith apart from any work of law. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Some translations say we establish the law. Which law was Paul referring to? Was he referring to some New Testament law? Was he some some new law of Christ that's totally detached from the law of God in the Old Testament? No! He's referring to the law of God. He says God's law is good. God's law, the Bible says, is just. That's true. The Bible says, graciously teach me your law, God. Graciously teach me your law. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. That's how the Bible approaches the law of God. So from a basic presuppositional starting point... We're saying God's the reference point. If you want to know what's just in any area, you look to the Word of God. So here's what I'm saying. I think what we're all saying here in terms of the law of God. Please listen closely. We're saying we should actually approach this with a Sunday school epistemology. A Sunday school epistemology is the kind of epistemology that says God said it, I believe it, that settles it.
0: Hmm.
2: I think that's on a t-shirt somewhere.
0: Well I think like when when people when people say that like you know it says the law brings death they use that passage as a way to say that the law is not like in a way they say the law is not good. Right. So when you look at like Psalm 119 or where David's saying how much he loves God's law does that mean that he loves death? Good point. Like there's got to be a different context. There is a different context. Yes, oh, right. That's amazing. That's a that's great right.
2: point, Marcus. All right. because the law, of- the law, because that's that the law does. This is Christians unable to think in categories. The law does bring death in one particular context when it's put over sinful, fallen people. Right, we can't accomplish it, and it only exposes our sin. But right. does that
0: make it not good? Right, it's like communion. Right. Communion brings death to those who take it. Un- unwilling, un- unfaithfully and then it brings life and sanctification to those who take it uh, who are Christians it's it's fundamentally good
2: right but used in the wrong way dangerous absolutely right. and so so from a presuppositional position we're saying and I don't care look this isn't about whether you agree with the methodology of presuppositionalism This is not, well, if you're classical, you can't agree with this. This is just saying, look, what's our basic starting point as Christians? The Word of God is the standard. Amen? Amen. Sola Scriptura? The scriptures alone are only infallible with faith and practice. And so we say God said it, I believe it, that settles it. God says on these issues of justice, when he says in these issues of law, when he says how society is to be governed and how it's supposed to function, he's already spoken to it. If I want to truly know, if I want to actually say I have knowledge about that, I have certainty about that, this is what God says then we go Mm -hmm. to the Word of God. And that actually means His law, too. Mm -hmm. Now, are we saying in any way you drop the law on society and somehow it's going to save society? No, Jesus Jesus saves society. Jesus saves sinners. But the law of God, the Bible says, from an eschatological standpoint, it says in Isaiah chapter 2 that the law is going to go forth from Zion. That the nations are going to stream up to the mountain of God. That's what we're doing today. Okay? So that's not not simply future one day. Jesus is already king. He's already brought His kingdom. And that's, I think, an indisputable, ultimately... Maybe you might be able to dispute it, but I don't think you can win that argument. The kingdom of God has arrived in history. Jesus is ruling and reigning now with all authority in heaven and on earth now. Mm -hmm. So Isaiah chapter 2, the kingdom has arrived. The nations are streaming up to the mountain of God. And it says that the law, the Torah, is going to go forth from Zion. The law of God is an integral part of the kingdom of Christ in terms of the ethic of Christians. The law of God. And so someone says, what does that really look like? Well, love God, love neighbor. And if someone says, oh, I believe that, good, thank you. Now you just granted me the entire law. Love God, love neighbor, that's all I want. Thank you. Then that's just the entire law and prophets. Appreciate it. See? Jesus said it. Hmm. And so if someone says, okay, what does it mean to love my neighbor and love God? Hey, isn't it amazing? We have an entire revelation here that tells us exactly how to love God and love neighbor. What does it look like? What does it look like? Now, it's not just what does it look like in terms of don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. But it's also what does it look like to love neighbor in terms of society mm-hmm. when um, you have social issues, when you have people who are being stolen from, what is a loving your neighbor kind of way to punish that? I'll tell you what's not loving. It's not loving to your neighbor to give them a life sentence in jail. Right. With no possibility of parole because they right. had a bag of weed or because they stole from 50 bucks from their neighbor or something. You know, I mean... Maybe 10, 20 years people get for that? I don't know. I'm sure there's examples. I'll tell you what's not loving your neighbor. What's not loving your neighbor is what happened to my high school sweetheart. The girl that I was, like, from 10th grade to 12th grade, she was, um, and if you have kids, earmuffs, she was raped by somebody at her 16th birthday party. Some stranger came into her house with friends who were invited over for the party, when she went to the bathroom, he walked into the bathroom, he raped her on her bathroom floor, when he was caught, he got six months in jail. Wow, six months for rape. Wow, and I think he was actually out before that. I think he got yeah, early like, like early, like early, you know, good behavior sort of situation. So do we love our neighbors. Yeah, that's a, that, that really happened. So, and the Bible does say in Hebrews chapter two. It says for since in this is verse 2 for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution did you get that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution it does not call the law of God unjust or mean right that's what we got to get here. The law of God in the Old Testament isn't seen as this oppressive mean system. It's seen as good. It's seen as a delight. It's seen as a blessing upon uh, to those who actually uh, delight in it and meditate on it day and night. And it says that every violation of the law received a just retribution, mm-hmm. just punishment, just recompense, just penalty. You see, the law of God is good. All of it. And again, Paul said, doesn't say that now that we're Christians in the kingdom of Christ, that now the law of God is irrelevant. He says, no, because of faith we now establish the law. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God now to be motivated to do it. Now that chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Jesus' classic statement on the law of God, what does he say? He says, Me non mesete. It, means, it means very clearly, do not even let it enter your mind. Do not even begin to think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Don't even let it into your mind. And he actually says that anybody that teaches anyone else to disobey even the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. What do you think he's referring to? The law. The law of God. So when he says fulfill, he doesn't mean cancel. That's right. That's right. He brings it to its intended completion. In this sense that now he puts it in its proper position. The law of God now for Christians is in its proper place. It's completely proper place. We love the law of God. We delight in the law of God. The law of God we see as good. We do not see it as oppressive. We don't hate the law of God. We don't mock God's law. It's in its proper place. We have now an eternal priest who is in the heavens forever now, who is seated, no longer walking around the Holy of Holies with a work that was never completed. We have a once-for-all sacrifice, complete forever. We have a temple now that cannot be destroyed. And we also... Have that law now written within our hearts. It's within us. And we actually have now, this is powerful, the ability now to fulfill the law in its proper sense. For example, someone says, well, what about Passover? Do Christians still celebrate Passover as they were commanded in Scripture? Well, I would say this, not in the rudimentary sense, but Christians do do still celebrate Passover. Yep. Now, in its intended fulfilled sense. Right. And, check this out.
3: Which is fun. To do the... Passover Seder.
2: Yeah, because it points to Christ. Yeah. But we fulfill the Passover... And it tastes good. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting how they used to do it. But we do it now in its fulfilled sense, and that we have the Passover who is completed now once for all, and we have something else really powerful. The Apostle Paul says that now Christians do Passover by removing malice. Instead of leaven, instead of removing leaven from our quote-unquote house, we actually... Remove the le- the malice, so we we actually do Passover now. We have the the Lamb of God, who did this once for all sacrifice. It's all completed now; <coughs> never needs to be repeated. No more reminder of sins. And now Paul says, "Now you're to remove malice." That's the leaven you remove. So you see, we still it's still relevant. And the Apostle Paul, what's he do? He quotes from the Old Testament law, even down to he- animal husbandry and yes animal husbandry like people go how relevant is that well Mm -hmm. apparently very relevant because the apostle Paul points to animal husbandry laws he does not say now guys we know this is all done and over with and now we're not to pay attention to this anymore we know the law is now defunct he actually quotes from it as though you're supposed to just know you're supposed to understand this you should know this guys what's he do animal husbandry he says in reference to Vocational Ministry He says that you're supposed to Not muzzle the ox while it treads Right. That's animal husbandry You take the general equity of that law And you apply it to the function of the church And not only to the function of the church You apply it to Joy Who's working At the studio Full time Don't muzzle the ox while it treads Pardon the expression You're not really Thank an you. ox
3: You don't look anything
2: But you have to pay That's Joy Or she'll starve and die While she's working Right? Now, how she hasn't starved and died yet on her diet is...
3: We just feed her, we just feed her blue, blueberries.
2: Blueberries. We feed her blueberries. Uh, um, so, but yeah, here, and, and you know, another example is when the Apostle Paul talks to children, apparently we're in service. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was talking to children. He says, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then he quotes what? Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with promise. promise you're supposed to know it he does watch this is not the hermeneutic it's not the law of God is defunct and over with and so we all know that so we just ignore it and if it's convenient for us or God wants us to we'll, we'll pull a text or two over and if we do quote it then you know it applies it's the opposite they assume the continuity of that Old Testament revelation and it takes their actual moments where they define what's changed that allows us to see where that change takes place and how it takes place like, for example, the Passover. No more working out that rudimentary way of cleaning out your 11 out of your house and doing the old Passover. Jesus has come. It's all over and done with now. No more temple. No more sacrifice. And now Paul says you do it by removing malice. That's the true way. That's what it meant, ultimately. So guess what, what that means? We are no longer on the training wheels of the law. No more training wheels. They're gone. Now we're riding that bike with no, no training wheels, And that's how it works. So, next point, quickly. I'm going to go to um, this little clip here from Greg Bonson talking about the law. This is, I believe, my favorite message he did on the law of God. It's called Law and Disgrace. Go to cmfnow.com to get it. This is his discussion in reference to how Christians have approached the law of God in history. Is this the one, the one one? Where he like where he goes nuts. He starts to almost. Cry. Oh, this is my favorite yeah, one. This is here. my favorite
3: one. Okay. These
1: are the two major reasons why people tell me they oppose theonomy and Christian ethics. There are plenty. I've written a whole book, so it's much more than two. But if I were to boil it down <laughs> to the two recurring major reasons why people cannot be theonomists, the first would be because we're not under law but under grace. Romans six fourteen over and over and over again, in variations on it, but that's the central theme, we're not under law, we're under grace. And then as an application of that, I think, more particularly, we're certainly not under those harsh, terrible laws about how society is to be governed, and the civil magistrate is to punish criminal offenders. And so theonomy, if it has it wrong, if you listen to the popular mentality and the major reason why people will not go along with us, we have it wrong because we think we're under law rather than under grace. And we're so harsh as to think that our society should be governed by these penal sanctions of the Old Testament. And so what can we say? If we had two different schools of thought proposing how to build a neighborhood and they had completely different views of how to engage in the building of the homes and the construction of the streets and all the other things that goes into building a neighborhood you might if you were in a dip in one school of thought over against the other and you're both trying to build your respective neighborhoods you might from time to time go over and see one another and say well how's it going give me a progress report So rather than doing exegesis and argument this morning, I'd just like to go over to the non-theonomous neighborhood and say, how's it going? Give us an update on the world under your influence. How are things going in your churches? If we look back, way back, beyond the 20th century, down through the years to the earliest days of the Christian church, you'll see that the Christian Church, in its very first heretical encounter, had to deal with the law and grace issue. Marcion, who died in 160 AD, was the leader of a heretical sect in the early church. He had come to Rome about 140 AD. Four years after that, the church excommunicated him. According to Marcion, He maintained that the gospel of Jesus Christ was entirely a gospel of love that that excludes the Mosaic Law. His version of love was not subjective, it was not licentious, you need to understand that. Marcy, in fact, was an ascetic. He believed in a very rigorous, narrow approach to life. But he believed that that approach to life was to be directed by New Testament text only. And that led him into a severe ascetic lifestyle, very much like the Gnostics, that despised the world and the flesh. Marcion felt that the original gospel had been corrupted by his day. We're talking about less than a hundred years. And now, already, people are preaching sermons. We have to get back to New Testament Christianity. Have you heard that before? Marcion was saying that as well. He felt that the Judaizing tendencies in the early church had corrupted the disciples They should have realized, he said, that the Old Testament has absolutely no validity for Christians. And it's only Paul, according to Marcion, who understood that correctly. And by the way, even Paul didn't get it right all the time. And so Marcion declared that the New Covenant Scripture is 10 of the epistles of Paul and the Gospel of Luke, but only the Gospel with the Old Testament expurgated from it and the church had to respond to Marcion. This is the first major heresy that the church addresses past the apostolic generation. And it's out of that confrontation that the church made declaration for the first time of what it recognized to be the canon of scripture. I think it's fascinating that if you understand church history, it was a theonomic motivation that led to the formation and public declaration of the New Testament canon. That's fascinating. The New Testament church, the early patristic church, was not antagonistic to the Old Testament. And those who were antagonistic were deemed heretics. Boy, have we come a long way, baby. Now, those of us who are saying, let's not throw away the Old Testament, let's respect what God has said there, we now are called heretics. But back in the days of the early church, the fathers of the church spoke glowingly of the Old Testament, of the Mosaic law and of its civil application. I only have time for two quick illustrations. Clement of Alexandria spoke explicitly of, and now I'm quoting him, the harmony of the law and the gospel. He went on to extensively and in detail commend the virtue and the benefit of the case laws that were revealed by Moses. He claimed that the Mosaic law was the fountain of all sound ethics. He said it's far superior to the products of the best legislators of Greece. And now I'll quote him again. Now Moses furnished a good polity, which is the right discipline of men in social life. He also handled the administration of justice coordinate with it the faculty of dealing with punishments. In a word, the whole system of Moses is suited for the training of such as are capable of becoming good and noble men. But those who disbelieve and have shown a repugnance to engage in the works of the law, whoever else may certainly confess their ignorance of the truth. That's pretty strong words also we have one of the fathers of the church saying of course a civil polity should be fashioned after Moses the Greek legislators couldn't possibly do any better than an inspired writer who speaks directly to the subject about how men should get along in society and deal with their problems well that was long ago right doesn't sound like the day in which we live this is
2: so there you go there's a really really great moment from again my favorite uh, message, Doctor Bonson ever gave on the law of God. Yeah, and Luke brings up there's just a moment in this where you can just you can just see how this was weighing on Doctor Bonson yeah. as he struggled through a, an attempt to reform the ch- the church in this area. And uh, you know that that's fascinating. And don't you think it's really amazing that that when the canon list is first produced, it was a, it was a, an issue of the law of God. A theonomic issue that brought about that first, you know, uh, pointing to the canon. I think that is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, when he says we've come a long way. Well, yeah, we've come a long way. Now, here's what you need to hear. This is important. Nobody is suggesting that Christians throughout history ever had a point where there was a Christian utopia and they did all things Right the for for example the puritans many of us are foreign folks we love the puritans the puritans are our heritage and so we point back to the puritans we can point out pretty direct things where and it's easy to spot where the puritans just got it wrong and here's how you know they got it wrong because they weren't basing what they did on the scriptures hmm. you know if they, if they had a particular law in their society you are like wait that's uh, that's weird That does seem harsh. And you might be able to say, yeah, that was harsh. And it was weird because it's not even consistent with the word of God. Right. That was preference. Okay. But where they pointed to the law of God in their culture and society, that's where they got it right. Hey, check this out real fast. Look at this. This is from usahistory.info. Listen, you guys listen to this. This is is really interesting. usahistory.info talking about the Puritan laws and character. Look at this. During the seventeenth century, the combined New England colonies formed practically, if we accept Rhode Island, one great Puritan Commonwealth. They were under separate governments, but their aims and hopes were their laws for the most part and their past history were the same. Now watch this. This is not a Christian website. It says the people as a whole were liberty loving in the extreme. Liberty loving in the extreme. But the individual was restrained at every step by laws that no free people of today would tolerate for an hour. Wow. Mm. But notice the the contradiction in those two statements. Did you catch it? One, they were liberty-loving to the extreme. Yeah. They loved freedom. Freedom for the individual, freedom for society, and then you got these ridiculous oppressive laws that nobody would tolerate for an hour today. How how do you do that? How do you have liberty loving to the extreme, and you've got ridiculous oppressive laws? Which is it? <laughs> I mean, you got to pick, right? Mm-hmm. But but have we come a far a long way? Yeah, we've come a long way. We certainly have. But here's the hope we have for the future. This is often quoted by reform folks. You'll know this when I quote it. Ezekiel chapter thirty six. God says in verse twenty four, "I will take you from the nations." And gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and uncleannesses. <laughs> and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit while I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We love that as Reformed folks. We're like, that's regeneration, baby. That's a new heart. That's a new life. That's the spirit of God living within us. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to be to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yeah, that's there, too. Mm-hmm. That's there, too. I put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, that's the thing is that, that the law of God is part and parcel to what God is 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 doing in this restoration of all things in healing the world he brings salvation first through the work of Christ and then by his spirit God transforms sinners and he changes us. He causes us to look to his law and to love it. And you know I think one of the worst things to ever do if you happen to have a different view on the law of God than say we do. The worst thing to do to argue for your position is to begin to diss the law of God. And that's one of the things that I find most compelling is that when you have brothers and sisters that might disagree in this area and try to lob an argument against um, the law of God, theonomy, however you want to call it, um, when people try to have an argument, what is compelling to me is to see these brothers and sisters create their arguments out of hostility towards God's revelation. They'll mock the revelation of God. And they'll say, oh, you believe th- this text that says we should do this in the justice system? Mm-hmm. You believe that? It's like, well, wait a second. Who spoke that? Right. Who spoke that? So if you have to actually make the law of God look bad in order to make your position look true, we know that that's a bad argument. We have to all admit to that. Now, I'm not saying I'm not open to having that conversation as, well, what's your argument against the law of God? And it's modern continuing relevance today. I'm not saying I'm not open to listening. I'm saying that if your argument is that the law of God was somehow bad, unjust, or God was just mean, I'm saying that's a bad argument mm. and you should think of a new one. Anybody else got something to say?
3: Are we are we closing out? I here? think oh, oh
2: whoa, 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 one more thing. I'm gonna add this. Here we go. This is an abstract of the laws of England. I don't want to forget to put this in today. This is an abstract of the laws of New England as they are now established, printed in London, 1641. John Cotton, baby. John Cotton. John Cotton. This is amazing. Louis says, This model, this is is the, the abstract of the laws of New England. Just go do a Google search of it. This thing was comprehensive in terms of like the laws of the day and look what he look what look what said this is amazing this model far surpasseth all the municipal laws and statutes of any of the gentile nations and corporations under the under the scope of heaven wherefore i thought it not unmeet to publish it to the view of all for the common good judge equally impartially whether there be any laws in any state in the world so just and equal as these Which were the duly unattended to were undoubtedly preserved inviolable the liberty of the subject against all tyrannical and usurping powers. Boy, you gotta really get in the the mood for this. Okay, Watch. This abstract may serve for this use principally, which I conceive was the main scope of that good man who was the author of it, to show the complete sufficiency of the word of God alone. To show the complete sufficiency of the word of God alone to direct his people in judgment of all causes, both civil and criminal. Mm. But the truth is, both they and we and other Gentile nations are loth to be persuaded to lay aside our old earthly forms of government to submit to the government of Christ. Mm. Man, have we come a long way, baby. (laughs) That's in the 1700s. Or 17th century. That's the 17th century. John Cotton, 1641. Wow. That is our heritage. Now here's the thing. Don't tell me you love the Puritans if you don't love the way that they viewed the law of God. Because that was so much a part of how they viewed all of society, salvation through Christ, and now under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, how do we order our families, ourselves, our churches, our government in such a way as to be pleasing to God? And how do they do it? Look what, the, look what it says. Listen to that. That's fantastic. Look what it says. To show the complete sufficiency of the Word of God alone to direct His people in judgment of all causes, both civil and criminal. What Christian can argue with that? That the Word of God is sufficient to answer these questions? How could we call it oppressive? How could we call it unjust? How could we call it unloving? Well, I don't think it's real loving your neighbor. Well, Jesus says the law and the prophets are built upon love for God, love for neighbor. So here's the thing. If you want to know what love for neighbor looked like to Jesus, he said it was the law of God. How do we get there? Man, it is only, only possible through the gospel. And right. I don't want to say that as a glib slogan. I don't want to say that as some cavalier, oh, it's the gospel, that's what saves people. We gotta, I mean that. I mean like genuine repentance and faith, preaching the gospel with all of its sharp yeah. edges. I'm saying preaching the gospel faithfully, telling people about the holiness of God, our sin, the need for repentance and faith and salvation, the need for regeneration. That was what they preached. And I'll tell you what, read George Whitfield. That's Puritan heritage right there. Read George Whitfield. You read the you you read the kind of gospel that he preached. Man, we need to preach that today. Mm. And when that happens, I change. There ain't nobody in this studio that hates God's law or thinks that it's in any way wrong or bad. Well, maybe Gabe. Well, we love it. We love it. <laughs> and what happens is God changes your heart towards his law. And then when he changes all of society, that whole society loves God's law and justice is done. I'm going to read you one more thing just for hope here, and then we're going to go. One more thing. And this is um, an important passage from an important book, Isaiah chapter 42. Look at this. I want to make sure you see the hope we have here. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow fate or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for right. his law. Mm. Mm. Now, if you want to say, well, I believe that's going to happen someday in the future... Well, I would say, well, at least you have a good view of the law of God, that it'll be established in the future, in its proper place. I think your eschatology is off, because Jesus says that he brought his kingdom in the first century. The apostles agreed. Daniel chapter 2 says so. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel seven, thirteen through 14. Timing issues you can't get away from. Christ is king. He's ruling now with all authority in heaven and earth now. If that's the case, then he's bringing forth justice. He's not going to stop until it's done. He will not grow faint or weary. And it says, what about the coastlands? They wait for God's law. Right. So let's tell it. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Apology Radio. Luke, you got something to say? Um,
3: I'm good. <laughs> I did not know if we were going to go longer or not, but we we, no, think we, we, we could talk about we, this for a long time. So I
2: think we've had, a, yeah, we could do another two hours, yeah. but I think that's good for I today.
3: Think, I think we uh, covered the basics pretty well.
2: Don't forget to go to missionaware.com and get a shirt, guys. Yes, they love us, they support us. You should support them and get a shirt. Joy, we love you. Thank for all, all your hard work.
3: You're are you, welcome. You, are you awake?
2: Yeah. We're, I think we're all a little lethargic today. We've been doing no, we've been shooting a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's been busy. We were <laughs> shooting busy. all day yesterday, yeah. and we're heading for a conference, and it's just it's busy, busy. I do have one thing to say. Okay. It's actually a clip. Oh, okay. So.
0: Mel Gibson. He liked Freedom to the Extreme, too. He did. Have you guys seen, like, the trailer for Hacksaw Ridge? That Mel, yes. G- Mel Gibson's
2: new movie? Uh, yes. It looks, looks amazing. It looks, does look amazing. Yes. It does. He's also doing a new movie on The Resurrection, I
3: heard. That's what I heard, too. Really? Yep. I wonder how much Catholicism will be, uh...
2: That second commandment that. violation, though! <laughs> right, Marcus? Well, if someone's gonna do them, yeah. at least do it well, Yeah, I guess. I guess, Mel. <laughs>
4: Really? (laughs) I'm interested to hear you take that perspective on it. All right,
2: guys. So I want to tell, once again, everybody who is a supporter of Apologia Church, I want to tell you thank you. Um, You encourage us. You inspire us. You keep the fire underneath our feet to keep keep us moving, to continue to put out solid, gospel-centered, God-glorifying content on a regular basis, so we want to thank you so much. If you haven't signed up for All Access yet, I encourage you to do so. Sign up for All Access. Be a part of what we're doing as a church to communicate the gospel and the biblical worldview into the world. Um, every single one of you is is meaningful, and a $7.95 a month donation may not seem like a lot of damage, but when so many of you guys are doing it as you are, yeah. it... it it accomplishes a lot. Believe us, it accomplishes a whole lot. So thank you. We're grateful. Apologia Church thanks you for your partnership. And um, yeah, for those of you guys who haven't signed up yet, what are you waiting for? What's up? Jump on it. Jump on it. Sign up. a part of what, what's happening with us. And uh, we'll try to check in with you guys and share regular blessings that we hear in regard to how God's using that content around the world. We love you guys. Luke the Bear, thank you, sir. You got it. Joy the Girl, thank you. Welcome. Marcus Pittman on the ones and twos. No problem. I'm Jeff. I'll catch you guys next week.